As you're turning there, this is going to be our second message from Acts chapter 28. I'm uh, hopeful that we get finished, and then therefore we'll be finished with Acts. That'll be the close of the book of Acts. But as we are closing this, I also want to bring this kind of fast forward us into what we've seen. Luke is writing Acts. We know it's inspired, but Luke's, what, Luke's intention wasn't just to give us the history of the church, but to encourage the churches in any age that there is. In Acts, we see the expansion of the church. We see that the Lord gave his command in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to be a witness unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. And so we see an expansion geographically of the church as it starts in Jerusalem and expands, but we also see an expansion ethnically, that salvation was not just of the Jews, it's of the Gentiles and the the Greeks and the barbarians. So it's, it's reaching out into those areas. Now Luke, when he wrote Luke, the theme of Luke was he had the, the word pers- uh, personified, was Jesus Christ, and that journey started in Galilee and ended in Jerusalem. In Luke's second book, which is Acts, we see that the word is declared by the church and the journey starts in Jerusalem and ends in Rome. And so we see uh, between Luke's two volumes, we have a, a comprehensive and holistic view. The pattern we see, have seen through Acts of the church is the church's source of power is the Holy Spirit. The pattern for the church's Walk is walking in the Spirit. The church's message is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the saving of Jesus Christ. The perils to the church or the threats to the church are the same threats we have today. We see threats that are from within and false teachers that are outside of the church. The church's priorities in Acts, we've read that is to teach the word of God to those who are saved and to preach the word of God to those who are not. And so we teach the word of God to his children and preach to those who are not. So although we're going to com- be completing Acts, it really has not ended. It's still going on today. Now, we're going to start in verse 17. And again, we we may get to verse 31, and we're going to go verse by verse. Um, But in chapter 28, verse 17, it says, And it came to pass that after three days Paul called the chief of the Jews together, and when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans who, when they had examined me, would have let me go, but because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had ought to accuse my nation of. For this cause, therefore, have I called for you, to see you, and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel 
I am bound with this chain. And they said unto him, We neither receive letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee. But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest. For as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah, the prophet, unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people, and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known unto, or be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves, and dwelt. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. In 2006, there was a famous rabbi, maybe some of you all have heard of him, but his name was Yitzhak Kadori. Anybody hear of him? He lived to a ripe old age of 108 years old. And in January of 2006, he died. At his funeral, there were over a half a million Jews who came to his funeral. He was admired, he was popular, and he was a rabbi in Judaism. Well, he had proclaimed that he had discovered who the Messiah was, but he would not tell anybody. So what he did was is he wrote it down and he says, you cannot read this until after I die. Well, in a couple months after his death, he wrote these words. Yeshua, Jesus, is the Messiah. The note had said, many know his name, but do not believe. This unbelievably popular rabbi, well-respected for, you know, half a million Jews were shook to the core. I mean, it shook them up. Now, think about this. It is no accident that three times in Acts we are told about Paul's conversion. How he was the Pharisee of the Pharisee. And then we see his conversion on the road to Damascus. And we see that he had seen the Lord visibly with his eyes. He saw Jesus. Jesus said, he, Paul said, who art thou, Lord? And Jesus said, it's Jesus whom thou persecutest. And the Lord saved Paul right there on the road to Damascus. And then Paul went to Arabia for three years, and there he studied in seclusion the scriptures, and you know, the Lord fed him and taught him. And then after those three years, he came back to Jerusalem, but then he was ran out of Jerusalem because they would not receive him. And then he fled and went to Tarsus up north. Well, after a while, 
Barnabas went up to Tarsus to get Paul to help him with this new missionary work in Antioch. They're the church of Antioch. And so we see Paul from Antioch be launched out into his three missionary journeys. And finally now, we see here that he is in Rome and he is a prisoner in Rome. So that's where we are right now. But it says in verse 17, And it came to pass that after three days Paul called the chief of the Jews together, and when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or, or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. So Paul doesn't waste any time. I mean, it doesn't seem like the grass grows under Paul's feet. After only three days, he's calling the Jews, the elders of the Jews, the chief of the Jews, to him. Now, this is an interesting situation where he's in jail. Paul before had to go preach to them. He had to go visit them in the synagogues, had to go visit them, and now he's calling everybody to him. In verse 18, he says, Who, when they had examined me, would have let me go because there was no cause of death in me. This is going to be the sixth examination of Paul. This is going to be the sixth time that Paul gives a defense for the gospel ever since he was arrested in Jerusalem, which wasn't that long ago. Now, if you remember the first time uh, Paul was arrested in Jerusalem when he went, uh, you remember how this whole, the first, second, third missionary journey, he wanted to get to Jerusalem, wanted to get to Jerusalem with the gift, and there he no sooner sits foot in Jerusalem and then James and the, the leaders of the church says, Paul, you, you need to go and you need to, to appear uh, cleansed, go take the Nazarite vow with these people. And then as he was going to the temple, who came but the Jewish zealots came and got him and a mob came. And then um, we know that Lysias, Claudius Lysias, the centurion, had to rescue Paul from this mob that wanted to kill Paul. And they made up all kinds of stories about Paul. How he, had, uh, he was teaching against the law, against Moses, against circumcision, and how he defiled the temple. And so the zealots were about to, the, the zealots didn't have to do due process. The zealots could have just killed you right there. They didn't go with the law of the Sanhedrin. So we see the first time Paul stands up, and then he gives an account of the gospel of his conversion, and he's doing actually pretty good. He's got all their attention until he gets to where he says, and God has extended grace to the Gentiles. Well, then they threw up the dirt, and they just went nuts on him, and they rushed him and said, this man does not deserve to be alive on the earth. And so Lysias, Claudius Lysias, the centurion, rescues him again. And though the second time we see Paul give an account, he gave an account before the Sanhedrin. Remember when Paul was before the Sanhedrin and he gave the account of his conversion and how the Lord saved him and then he perceived that half were Sadducees, half were Pharisees and then he says, into the question of the resurrection have I been called because the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. So actually he got the Pharisees and the Sadducees arguing against each other. And so there Paul kind of escaped out or God had preserved Paul. Well, the third time, uh, we see that they had wanted to uh, conspire to kill Paul. 
And then, lo and behold, Paul's nephew, which we didn't even know he had a sister up to this point, Paul's nephew came and he had overheard the plans and went to uh, Claudius Lysias, the centurion, and told him about it. And so Lysias sent Paul to Felix. And in, actually, that's, we don't have to turn there, but in chapter 24, he stands before Felix and he gives a defense of the gospel. And then from Felix, he goes to Festus, and that's the fourth time. And then the fifth time, he goes before Agrippa in chapter 26. And now here he is in the sixth time here at Rome. And before the men whom he called together, in verse 18, he says, Who, when they had examined me, would not have let me go, because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had ought to accuse my nation of. So Paul's saying, look, I'm not here to attack Jerusalem. I'm not here to attack the Jews of Jerusalem. Actually, I was the one who was attacked. But in verse 20, he says, For this cause, therefore, have I called for you to see you and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Paul calls it the hope of Israel. That's all Paul had to say for them to understand. What is the hope of Israel? What does he mean here? Well, he means the teachings of the Messiah from the law of Moses to the prophets, how Messiah would come. Messiah is the Savior of God. He's the one who would come and establish his kingdom that Messiah would, would come. That's the hope of Israel, that he would come, establish the kingdom, and also the resurrection from the dead. And so in just him saying the hope of Israel, they understood what Paul meant. I mean, for 3,500 years, the Jews had looked for the coming of the Messiah. And he was considered and called the hope of Israel. It's the central core belief of Israel, of Judaism, is the coming of the Messiah. Actually, this isn't the first time Paul makes reference to the hope of Israel. In chapter 23, verse 6, Paul said that, uh, well, he perceived that, I just said, the half were Pharisees, the half were Sadducees. He says, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in the question. He called it the hope of the resurrection and the dead. They knew what he meant because the Old Testament teaches about the resurrection. In Acts chapter 26, he says, And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. So we see that, that thread all throughout. That's the reason that Paul says that he is standing where he is. And I can imagine him in these chains. He lifts up his chains and he says, For the hope of Israel, I am bound with these chains. Now, we see Paul, later he writes Ephesians. He reads, he, he reads uh, Philippians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. He, read, he writes four books while he's bound in prison here. And in Ephesians, he says, I am an ambassador in bonds. I'm an ambassador in chains. So Paul, 
speaks about frequently throughout the epistles, and we see this, that he did not consider himself a prisoner, that he considered himself a free man. He was in the will of God, bound in these chains, and he knew that God had his will. His attitude was, you know what? I'm not here against my will. Now think of that attitude. You're thrown in the prison, and that, he tells the, the Jewish leaders why he's there. It wasn't because of anything he attacked Jerusalem or anything. It was because of the hope of Israel he's here. And my attitude now is I'm, I'm chained. Look at all he's gone through to get to Rome. The shipwreck, the, the hurricane, and everything, the beatings. and he, this is the, That was the fourth time he'd been shipwrecked. All the, 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 the whippings he got and the scourgings and left for dead. But he says, I'm not here bound in these chains against my will because it's God's will. And I am submissive to God's will. Well, think about that. I mean, if you were thrown in jail tomorrow for preaching or believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it wouldn't be against your will. It would be God's will. And you would be submissive to God's will. That Paul didn't feel like he was any place out of danger. He was perfectly where God wanted him to be. And the things which are happening to him are exactly what God wants happening to him. He could be content in God's will. And so he wasn't trying to bust out. He wasn't fighting for his survival. He wasn't fighting for an innocent plea. But he calls himself, he is quite content in his chains. And we will talk more about that as, as we go. But in verse 22, he says, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 21, and, the, and they said unto him, We neither receive letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee. I, I'm almost, a little, it's a little hard to believe that, uh, but that's what they're saying. We've not heard of you, Paul, but in verse 22, they definitely have heard of Christianity. He says, but we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest, for as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Concerning this sect, he's talking about Christianity. Now, between the years of 41 A.D. to 53 A.D., now, right now, this is 62 A.D., so this is later. Um, between 41 and 53, we know that Emperor Claudius had kicked out the Jews from Rome because there was a disruption. There was, an, uh, you know, it was, there was fighting, there was strife in Rome concerning Jesus, concerning Christos concerning Judaism and Christianity. So Claudius, the emperor there at Rome at that time, said, fooey with all of them, let's get rid of all the Jews. And so at that point, we know that when uh, Paul was in Corinth, who did he meet? He met, he met Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla were those who had come from Rome. And remember when Paul was all alone and he was feeling kind of down, cast down, how God had supplied him with friends. And it wasn't by chance or by luck that God had led Aquila and Priscilla right to Paul. Aquila and Priscilla were members, church members of Rome. 
Remember, Paul had written to the church at Rome before this. And that's going to come up. Remember, actually in verse uh, 14, it says, Where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days, and so we went toward Rome. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appio, Forum, and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. Those people that came to see Paul in Rome were those who he had written to in the book of Romans. Priscilla and Aquila were two of those people. He had sent Phoebe with the letter to, to Rome. So as Paul is here in verse 22, we know Christianity was very much alive in Rome. And remember what else Paul said in Romans. He says, I come, I desire to have fruit among you for our mutual faith together. Uh, so that, and he says that he did not want to build upon another man's foundation. Peter never started church of Rome. That's what the Catholic church teaches, is that the Roman church, the Roman Catholic church is built on the bones of Peter. Peter was the first apostle, the apostle and now the pope is a, a continued apostle. Their whole systematic structure is off the fact that Peter started the church there at Rome, and there's no evidence that Peter was there. And quite the opposite, uh, in Romans, if you read through there, it's very strong language and very implied that there had not been an apostle there to start the work. So, but we do know Christianity was in Rome. And that's what they're saying. We know of this sect, but we want to hear what you have to say, Paul. So verse 23, And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him unto his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. Now, Paul's under house arrest right now in Rome. And that's what it says, his lodging. We're going to come to find out that it, actually he's paying for it. It's, it's a rental. And so, but there is a centurion, there, there is a, a soldier who is chained to him. But there came, that's what it says, many to him in verse 23. And what did Paul do? He says, he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them. That's a very important word. When we preach the gospel, we preach it to persuade. I want you to be saved. I want you to ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. Repent and believe the gospel. When we teach the gospel, uh, when we preach the gospel, I was thinking of that week at camp, how many times the gospel was presented. But we can see Paul here persuading them, please believe the gospel, please. Now we know that God must do that work, but when we present the gospel, um, you know, and that how many times we do that, we could uh, be talking to a friend or someone and, and you're, you're loving them, but you want to persuade them, and that's what it says. So the motive was persuading. Now that doesn't mean that everybody Paul talked to was believing. We know that's not true. Because here in a minute, we see that's not true. The motive is persuasion. The result wasn't, he. oh yeah, he persuaded them all. But from concerning 
Jesus. He had one topic. He went through the law of Moses, which that doesn't mean the Ten Commandments. That means the, the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, uh, and then the prophets from morning till evening. You imagine sitting there listening to Paul just go through the Old Testament, go through the, uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and then the prophets, and showing them Jesus everywhere. I mean, he is con concerning Jesus means that Jesus is God's Messiah. He is the anointed one. How God was, how Jesus was born of a virgin. He was born of a virgin. He did not sin. He was the spotless Lamb of God from the Torah, the Old Testament, from the books of Moses, that Jesus was the Passover Lamb. He is the Passover Lamb. All of those things were, were typed in, in Jesus, that he brought in everlasting righteousness. He caused the, uh, the ceasing of the oblation and the reconciling for iniquity, and he brought in everlasting righteousness, as Daniel had prophesied, that Jesus rose from the dead again for justification, that Jesus has ascended up, He's alive today. He has ascended into the Father. And one day Jesus is coming back and we will have the resurrection of the just and the unjust. All of that in the Old Testament. How Paul was persuading them. And that's what Paul has been doing this entire time in his ministry. But what, what do we see happen in verse 24? And some believed the things which were spoken and some believed not. There was a division. Now, not just Acts, but we see everywhere else from the Word of God, expect that there are two types of people. There are, there are those who believe, and there are those who do not. This was the result. There was never 100% believed, and there was never 100% believed not. There was a mixed result. And we see that in chapter 14, verse 4. I won't go through them all. But it says the multitude of the city was divided. Part held with the Jews and part held with the apostles. In chapter 17, it says some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. And, but the others the who did not believe had moved with envy. Paul said when the Jews had rejected him and started to blaspheme, Jesus, in chapter 18, he says he shook his raiment and he said to them, Your blood be upon your own head. I am clean. From henceforth I will go to the Gentiles. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And his house were baptized. And as many as the Corinthians believed, they were baptized. So we see Paul go to the, the Jews did not believe. He went to the Gentiles. You know, now think about this. As we give the gospel, you know, and that's the thing is, you know, Sunday morning gave the gospel. Gave the gospel. All my heart. And then when I came down, I was praying, Lord, save somebody today. But just because nobody walked down the aisle, I was not discouraged. I did not fail. We, as the Lord's church, did not fail. Okay? 
We did exactly what God had told us to do and to expect what happens. Remember the parable of the sower? There were four types of responses Jesus said there would be. Only one of those type of responses where the seed landed on good ground. That means 25%. I mean, you don't use that as a model, right? I mean, but think about that. Of the four type of responses, only one of them was genuine. The, the one kind of response was they didn't want to have anything to do with the word of God. How the seed had fell on the wayside or the bird snatched it up from the air. That I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, your gospel. I don't want to be saved. I am fine just the way I am and I don't need you poking and prodding in my life. The second and third kind were those who received the word with joy. But what happened? And they sprung up, but there was no root in them. Or they were distracted. I mean, that they were all enthusiastic about, you know, being baptized and wanting to join and being saved. But as soon as there was any kind of conflict in their lives, they abandoned. They were either distracted by the things of the world, the, the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and they, didn't, they fell away. But there was good ground. And even when we sow it on the good ground, which the ground God has prepared in the heart, even then there's different fruits. Some gave 30, some gave, you know. Even all of us who are saved, we have various amounts of fruits which our hearts produce. But that puts, us, put, puts it in perspective in verse 24. And some believe the things which were spoken and some believed not. Verse 25, And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after that Paul had spoken one word, Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers. This can actually read a little bit better if you read it like this. They left after Paul had said this. In verse 25, when they agreed, they departed after Paul had spoken this one word. And what was that one word? It's in verse 26 and verse 27. Uh, he says, Spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah, the, and this is quoting Isaiah 6, 9, the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people, and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. And he says, Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. In verse 29, And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. Verse 29 could, it's the same thing as he said in verse, the beginning of verse 25. So at the beginning of verse 25, he says, The Jews left with the division among themselves, but the some who had believed, the some who did not, after Paul had said these words. So we see that there is Division. Now think about this. Okay, some believe, some did not. What happens when you have some who believe and some who do not? There's no peace between them. There's division. I mean, they could have been friends before. 
but now they have division. Now think about this. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12, verse 51. He says, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you not at all, but rather division. There's division. Now think about that. Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, but division. Now try to reconcile that with what the angel said at his birth and what Isaiah prophesied about Jesus. What did they say? The angel said this at Luke 2.14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Isaiah said that he would be called Wonderful, the Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now wait, didn't Jesus just say he did not come to bring peace, but division? Now think about that. So what peace did Jesus actually bring? He did bring peace. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a vertical peace. Jesus has brought a vertical peace with, with God and sinners. Not a horizontal peace between believers and unbelievers. And sometimes that that hurts, too, because you can find it within your family. Now, Jesus has brought a peace of the Holy Spirit. Uh, He works the peace inside of our hearts. Jesus will bring peace on earth one day at his consummation because every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus says, I have not come to bring peace, but division. But Jesus has brought peace, the peace of God. And the peace within us. Not only judicial peace, but the peace that we feel. And we certainly pray the Lord just pours out his peace upon Brother Buddy tonight and today and the whole family. Just the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Just to lift him up. So Jesus did bring peace, but he brought division. The gospel brings division amongst those who believe and not believe. And in verse 26 and 27, we know that he is quoting Isaiah. In verse 28, he says, Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles. What that means is the gospel, and that they will hear it. Now think about this, verse 28, for a minute. Now, I know many of you have been with us in Romans, and we just got done with Romans 11. Romans chapter 9 through Romans chapter 11. We were forever in Romans chapter 9 versus Romans 11 because we we were learning, is God done with the Jew? Is God done with the, the physical Jew? And what about Israel? What about Israel? And he wrote, now think about the perspective of this. Paul, again, had written Romans chapter 11 when he's talking about that the Jews have not obtained that which they were seeking for. Israel has not obtained that which they were seeking for, but the election hath obtained it. And he says, is God done with Israel? He says, God forbid, because there is a remnant according to the election of grace. 
It also says in Romans chapter 9 through 11 how God has blinded the eyes of Israel where he could extend mercy to the Gentiles. It was always God's plan. God's always had an elect. And God was going to save his elect who were not of the brotherhood of the, the commonwealth of Israel. He was always going to save them through the rejection of the Jews. And what is baffling to me is the fact that he had already written this before, he, before Luke records this. Does that make sense? Here in Acts, he had already written about the Gentiles being grafted in. Uh, even though uh, they were against nature, the contrary to nature, that they have been grafted into the good olive tree, how God had broken off the natural branches, which was Israel, from the olive tree. Why were they broken off? Because of disbelief. And then the Gentiles were grafted in, and we talked about the pendulum, which God, through the rejection of the Jews, has extended mercy to the Gentiles, but that was always God's plan. That was always God's sovereign will that he would save me through the Jews, the physical Jews, that blindness has, has happened in part to Israel. He had already written all of these things, everything I just said, to Rome before he ever says this in verse 28. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. It's just interesting he didn't bring this up again because he had already written it once. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. Now, Paul, not only will they hear it, but they are hearing it. Paul was a witness. I mean, ever since he started, remember? I mean, Acts is divided into two parts, really. You got Peter, the apostle to the Jews in chapters 1 through 12. And then you have the church there, Jerusalem, the, the gospel in Jerusalem. And then chapter 13 starts. Then you have Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. And then how the gospel went from Jerusalem and spread out through Samaria and the uttermost. And what was Paul witnessing? For all his missionary journey, what, what was he witnessing? He was seeing the Jews reject and the Gentiles receive. The Jews reject and the Gentiles receive. He was, he was a first-hand witness. <laughs> so not only in verse 28 he says they will hear it. Hey, they have been hearing it. And they are going to hear it. And in Romans chapter 11 he says that, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And now we believe that God will swing the pendulum back to the, the nation of Israel and he will save his elect within the physical nation of Israel once the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. He's not going to save all of the physical Israel at the end of the world. He's only going to save those whom he has elected unto salvation. He's only ever done that. The thief on the cross was elected unto salvation. So we need to understand that it's only God's elect. Um, verse 30 and Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house that's what I'm talking about it means rented and received all that came in unto him preaching the kingdom of God teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ 
with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Now, we see Paul had dwelt in this house or this house arrest for two full years. In these two years, he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. What was Paul's mentality during this? Well, look at Philippians. We know Paul's mentality was he says that what had happened to him had happened for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul was content in his circumstances. Remember, we we had looked at Philippians chapter 4. Be content in the uh, content which God has given you in your life. How we are victors, not victims. We are of our circumstances. We are masters of our circumstances, not slaves. And we are conquerors of our circumstances, not those who have been conquered. Paul was a victor. And that was his mindset. Not only had God given him the, uh, the, the, um, the commitment and the, the content, the contentment, I can't speak, contentment to be there, but Paul says, you know what, there's also another reason, not just for the furtherance of the gospel, but brethren who are preaching Christ are gaining confidence. They're gaining strength through his bonds. Now, one thing we're not sure, now we're going to start speculating a little bit here. We know that it abruptly ends here. But um, we're not sure why it took two years. It says here in verse 30, he, he dwelt there two whole years. We're not sure why it took two years for him to get seen. He gets released after two years. Okay, He's released. Nero releases him. But we're not sure why it took two years to get a hearing. Uh, there, there are speculations, either it, there was a huge backlog or maybe his paperwork got uh, lost in the shipwreck. We don't know, but he's released after two years. Now, why do we know that? Because uh, he goes on to talk about in the epistles that he, that he ends up writing in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, those are after this time. 1 and 2 Timothy are after this time here that he's being in prison. Now, the speculation is in the timeline. Uh, actually, do, do, do you all have your maps? And we'll go ahead and close out this. Uh, I was wondering if we were going to be able to close out the, the book tonight, but let's go ahead and close it out. Now, the release time here is, he was released in 62 A.D. 62 A.D. It's very possible from here, now he's up here in Italy, on number one, A1, up here at the top left. He's up in Italy, he's in Rome. Now we know that Paul wanted to go to Spain. He wanted to slingshot, he wanted to go through Rome to get to Spain because Spain was considered the uttermost part of the earth. Uh, That was Paul being an apostle to the Gentile to the utmost, to the uttermost was Spain. So it's very probable from Rome when he's released, he goes on down to Spain. Because at this point where he is, is the closest he's ever going to be to Spain. Spain is over here. You you, you don't see Spain. So this is Italy, and Spain is over here if you just take it down, kind of right here. Um, Now, according to some of the historians, according to Jerome, which he was considered to be the first pastor... Uh, there in Spain, according to Jerome, Paul sailed to Spain. And there's some other early church 
fathers and historians that said that, that Paul did go to Spain. We don't know from the word of God if he did make it or not, but if he did, the Lord led him to Spain to preach the gospel. But if he did go to Spain, logically following the map and where we do know he went after this time period, it's very likely that he went to Crete from, from Spain, sailed over to Crete, because in Crete he meets up with Titus, to strengthen the brethren, uh, to strengthen the elders, to ordain or elders. And then, probably from Crete, he went up to Ephesus, up here, D, and then go up. So in Ephesus, he's there with Timothy. And then from Ephesus, he goes to Colossae. Now, Colossae's not on the map here, but it is a little bit over, kind of where Pamphylia is. It's... Uh, it's over to the right of Ephesus. And Colossae, he, went, he goes to see Philemon. And uh, because in Philemon, he says to prepare a guest room for him. And from Colossae, he goes to Troas. And Troas is up here, kind of close to where you see Philippi. It's in section C all the way up. Uh, section D all the way up. Troas is where he's arrested and he's brought back to Rome in 66 AD and there he's executed. He's martyred by Nero. So he's arrested in Rome after he reaches Troas. 2 Timothy is the very last letter that we know of that, that Paul wrote. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. That's what Paul wrote to Timothy. Now, in Acts, we've seen the evangelism of Paul. Paul preached the gospel whenever, wherever he could, wherever he had the opportunity. Paul's message was clothed in humility and graciousness and in kindness. That's the message of the gospel. Paul preached biblically and doctrinally. He preached to both Jews and Gentiles. He preached tirelessly and relentlessly. And finally, most important of all, Paul preached Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the Son of God. He is the Messiah of God. He's a Savior. He rose again. And God has given him this testimony and this witness, having raised Jesus from the dead, that he is the Messiah. And he is going to return one day for the resurrection of the just and the unjust. Now the church, and then I'll be finished. What have we learned about the church? First of all, we see the church expanded and it carried out faithfully the command of Christ. Remember Acts chapter 1 verse 8. I thought about going over our outline again, but we won't. You can definitely go home and look at your outline and see it all there summarized. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he gave him the command what to do. And we see the church faithfully obey the Lord, that he, they were a witness unto him, the gospel, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. That they, they took the torch. The torch was given to the Lord's church here, at first in Jerusalem. And then we see it expand from Jerusalem. Today, Metathorpe Baptist Church, we have the torch. The torch has been given to us. Today, that we are going out. Acts is finished, but it's not done. 
Um, I was actually thinking this up earlier, and there's 30 years. From 33 A.D. to 62 A.D., this may be a little neat for you. Let's just say 66 A.D. There's 30 years there, and there's 30 chapters round up in Acts. One year per chapter. That means that you and I today, we're in Acts chapter 1,993. And if you want to see the continuing story of the church, go to Baptist History homepage, look at the churches, read the trail of blood. But Acts is not finished until Jesus returns. His work is still going on. And we are still taking the, the torch. And here's the thing. May the Lord help us as we pass the torch on to the next generation. May the Lord give us wisdom. May the Lord give us, as Paul says, I have I fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. May we keep the faith. May, we, may, may the Lord bless us to stand steadfast in his word and in his truth, not to falter, not to be tossed about with every wave and anything that's going on in society, but to plow through as we see the church do in Acts. As we see the Lord's church do in Acts, so are we. I pray the Lord has richly blessed you with Acts. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day. Thank you, Lord, for this study which we started last year. And Father, how you have helped us and guided us through your church history there. All the principles that you have applied and that you have brought out and, Father, that are eternal. Father, may when you return, may you find us faithful, faithfully serving. Father, having the torch going forth into the world as we see your Apostle Paul and the, the Peter and all the church fathers there, Father, that you had given them the directive. You gave us the same commission to go and to reach people with the gospel, to teach those who know you and to preach those who do not. Father, may you just be with each heart here, each mind, as we leave and go our separate ways. Father, we especially pray for Brother Buddy and, and Sarah. Father, comfort them. Draw them closer to you. Father, may you give them your grace. Lord, we know that your grace it, it is always sufficient. It's always our supply. And it's the peace, Father, that you give us. And Father, when we call upon you, Lord, we know that, that you shelter us. And you love us. And you're so good to us. Father, you are so gracious. We do pray your grace upon them this night and the days to come and the year to come. Father, be with each one here. And may we praise and bring you honor in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand.